Let's get started. <clears throat> um, one tidbit before I really get into today's message. This church is on a mission. We have a mission. Okay? I just wanted to just bang that in your head real fast for just a second. Just a one-shotter. This church has a mission. And if you're here, you're part of that mission. Even if you're a guest this morning, you worshiped with us. All right? You, were, you affected the room this morning, right? You're not here on accident. Make no mistake, you're here on purpose, okay? God brought you here for a reason, and it's, and it's to uh, further his kingdom in this community, right? Our mission is not just to uh, have a good time in this room. It's not to just experience uh, the presence of God in this place, but it's to make a difference in the world around us. Don't forget that. Okay? All right. Alice Hathaway Lee. Does that name mean anybody, anything to anybody? I just wanted to see if I have any history buffs in the room that can correct me on my facts because I'm not a history buff. I just read the internet. <laughs> uh, give me just a second, Kyle, before you put that up there. Okay. Alice Hathaway Lee was Teddy Roosevelt's first wife. She died February 14th. 19 or 1884 she was 23 years old this was two days after she gave birth to their first daughter also named Alice uh, it was a kidney failure kidney disease that had been covered up by the pregnancy and so after the baby came out her body failed and she died two days later the same day that Teddy Roosevelt's mother died This morning I'm talking about making the past be our ally, not our enemy. Okay? Go ahead and put that first slide up for me, Carl, when you get a chance. This is a shot of Teddy Roosevelt's diary from that day. I don't know if you can read it. It's kind of small. But, yeah, that's a huge X. <laughs> and it says, the light has gone out of my life. That's what he wrote that day that his wife and his mother died. Okay, you can take it down because it's kind of a downer. <laughs> Not here to depress everybody this morning, but I think there's a valuable lesson that we can learn from Teddy Roosevelt's life. That day, he was devastated. I mean, I can only imagine uh, his 23-year-old beautiful wife. Um, I read a, a tribute that he wrote about her. And she sounded like an amazing person. Um, now he has a daughter um, and his sisters, and that's it. No more mom, no more wife. Um, after he wrote that tribute, it was a short tribute. It was about a paragraph long. It was pri privately published, so only his family saw it. Only his family got to read it. He didn't put it in a newspaper or anything like that. Uh, he never spoke of her again to the day he died. Never again. To the dismay of his daughter, never spoke about her publicly, never spoke about her privately, never spoke of her again. Uh, a biographer put it like this. Like a lion obsessively trying to drag a spear from its flank, Roosevelt set about dislodging Alice Lee from his soul. Nostalgia, a weakness to which he was abnormally vulnerable, could be indulged if it was pleasant. 
But if it painful, it must be suppressed until the memory too dead to throb. So that's kind of old speak. Basically, his wife died. So his way of dealing with that was to just completely block it out. He said, I, I can't handle this pain. I can't handle it. I'm going to block it out, and I'm not going to touch it for the rest of my life because it will ruin me. That pain, that depression, that hurting will ruin me. I'm not going to touch it. And he said about like a lion dislodging a spear from its flank, he said about dislodging his wife from his soul. It's kind of harsh. It's kind of harsh. I just want to get y'all's attention this morning. It's not all going to be like this, I promise. He said um, to a grieving friend later on in life, he, this is what he said. He said, there is nothing more foolish and cowardly than to be beaten down by a sorrow which nothing we can do can change. There is nothing more foolish or cowardly than to be dragged down and hindered by the past that you can't change. So he blocked it out. That's what he did. He put a big X on that day. A big X. And he just wrote the lights gone out of my life. It's kind of sad. Now he, I mean, I hope you realize Teddy Roosevelt led an amazing life. He, he did some amazing things. He, he said in his life many times, I have led the happiest life. Okay? But it was because he set aside that depression from his first wife. Uh, he did get remarried eventually. Uh, had five children. Children. His children were amazing. His son actually got the Medal of Honor in the same battle that he got the Medal of Honor for. We're going to talk about that later. I mean, how much of an honor is that to fight side by side with your son and you both receive the Medal of Honor? Um, we'd like to call him Teddy, but interesting quick fact, it was actually Alice Hathaway Lee, his first wife, that gave him that nickname Teddy. And so for the rest of his life, he hated that nickname. He couldn't stand it. People who worked with him, they called him Colonel. It was only the public that called him Teddy. He did not want that memory. He would not let it drag him down. Um, so that's what I'm talking about this morning. I want you to understand that the past that is behind us is behind us. And if it can't help you now, then don't deal with it. Just leave it alone. Teddy Roosevelt realized that his memories were just like the crazy wild beasts that he found out in Africa and South America and in the West. If he couldn't tame them, they would kill him. That's what his memories were like. He, he, he made that connection. If I can't tame my memories and control them, then they will overcome me. Yeah? Okay. Um, let's, let's explore the word of God for a moment. Because, hey, this is church, right? <laughs> Let's go to the next slide, Kyle. This is, um, I'm going to go over three perspectives that deal with the same event. The same event, which is the, red, the crossing of the Red Sea. And I'm going to have three Bible verses here, and each one is from a different perspective. This first one is from David. And he used the crossing of the Red Sea to encourage himself. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will, re I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all of your works and consider all of your mighty deeds. 
Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters you saw, O God. The waters saw you in rise. The very deeps were convulsed. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. So he, he, he uses this, this event that happened thousands of years before him, and he used it to encourage himself. Okay? He remembered the works of the Lord and was encouraged. All right? Now, this is a lesson that we're all pretty familiar with, right? If you've been in church for any length of time, you know, we learn, remember the things God has done. I think Pastor just told, uh, uh, spoke a couple weeks ago, last week, or maybe on a Wednesday night, about um, Joshua and how they pulled those stones from the bottom of the Jordan River and set them up so that generations to come could remember that the Jordan River was split so that they could come into the promised land. God wants us to remember his good works. Okay? All right, let's, let's move to the next one. This is the same event. It's actually the very next psalm. The next one is Psalm 78. And this is from the perspective of um, the people of Israel who did not remember. And the Lord got ticked off. They forgot what he had done, the wonderful miracles he had shown them. For he divided the sea before them and led them through. The water stood up like walls beside them. Yet they kept on with their sin, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. And when the Lord heard them, he was angry. The fire of his wrath burned against Jacob. Yes, his fire rose against Israel. For they did not believe God or trust him to care for them. Again and again, they tested God's patience and frustrated the Holy One of Israel. They forgot about his power and how he rescued them from their enemies. I want you to make an important connection here. First, they forgot what he had done. And then later, they did not believe that he could take care of them. Yeah, think about that for a second. The, the, it all starts with you forgetting. It all starts with you forgetting what God did for you before. And what God did for your ancestors. You know, we live in a country that, that was established by our forefathers through fighting and blood and, and sacrifice with the help of God. We have God to thank for our freedom. We have God to thank that we can live in this country and do pretty much whatever we want as long as we're not hurting other people. We have God to thank for that. Don't forget it. If God could work in this country to establish freedom for so many people, he can work in your life to free you of whatever kind of affliction you have. I mean, he created a whole nation of freedom. Certainly he can do it in one person. Don't forget about what he's done. Because if, if you forget about it, next thing you know, you're not going to believe he can help you. And if you don't believe that he can help you, why are you going to come here? Why are you going to come here to people who love you, people who care about you? You're not going to come here because, hey, God can't help me. Don't forget what he's done. Okay? All right, let's move to the last one. And this is when it gets interesting. I love finding verses in the Bible that seemingly contradict other verses in the Bible. Right? Because that's what makes you dig. <laughs> Yeah? If you come across something that it fits in line, you're like, oh, I already knew that. And you just go right past it onto the next line, right? But if you find something that totally throws a wrench in everything else you understand, well, then you kind of stop down. You're like, wait a second now. What's going on here? 
So, so I went and dug one up. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. By the way, this is from the perspective of God. So we did a perspective of David. We did the perspective of the people of Israel. And now we're doing it from the perspective of God. What does he say about his past deeds? What does God say about what he did in the past? This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses and the army and the reinforcements together, and there they lay, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. The Lord says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. So here, David was remembering the good work of the Lord and being encouraged by it. The people of Israel were forgetting the good work of the Lord, and God was getting ticked off at them. And then here God says, listen, all those things I did, forget about them. Don't dwell on them. See the new thing I'm doing. I read that, and I was like, this doesn't fit. <laughs> What's going on here? This doesn't fit at all. I start looking through the Bible. Where else does he say not to, for, or not to remember the things he did? And it doesn't. He wants us to remember the good things he did. So how does this work? What, what's going on here? Let's look at it carefully. First he says, well, not first. Right here he says, forget the former things. So if you take just that statement, forget the former things, it directly contradicts everything else he teaches us. But then, to ease it up a little bit, he keeps going. He says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. He eases up a little bit. Okay, you can remember, just don't dwell on it. Okay? Are you guys kind of starting to get it? Yeah. All right, so let's, let's jump in. I'm not going to pound that into your brain. Just, I hope you understand. At the top, he's talking about the things he did before. This is an interesting tidbit. You're going to love this. You're going to love this. Okay. At the top, he's talking about he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. So we all, under, we all know the story, right? Here's a huge ocean. No dry land belongs there. Dry land does not belong in the ocean. But he put it there. He said, okay, I, I, I am in charge of this thing. I don't care if it's an ocean or not. I'm making dry lands there. And that's what he did. And then he, he, he killed the army that was trying to kill his people. And then they went off into the desert. Rode into the sunset, even though they were going east. <laughs> Down at the bottom, when he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Look what he says. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Now he's in the desert where water doesn't belong. Water doesn't belong in the desert. That's why it's a desert. Leave the water for the rainforest. But he says, I am going to make streams in the wasteland. Now, what would happen if we didn't see the new things? What, what? We'd still be praising God for the dry ground we're walking on. Never mind the fact we're in the desert. We'd be parched, dehydrated. But we're still praising God for the dry ground. You're in a desert. <laughs> Stop praising God for the dry ground. Yeah, remember it. It was an amazing thing he delivered you. But for goodness sake, you need water now. 
Look at what God is doing. He's making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. See the new things God is doing. Make the past your ally, not your enemy. Okay? In Romans, it says, and I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses, and, and it's because I see something in it that most people never bother to look for. It says, faith comes from hearing. And you all know the rest of the verse because we say it in church all the time, and hearing from the word of God. But I just want to focus on the first part. Faith comes from hearing. What it doesn't say, faith comes from having heard. Your faith today, if it's based on last week's sermon, dude, you're in trouble. <laughs> you better listen up because whatever happened last week, it's gone. You're going to have a whole new set of challenges now. How many of you guys are worried about buying a turkey now? <laughs> no. Thanksgiving was Thursday. Past that. Now we're worried about buying Christmas presents. <laughs> Faith comes from hearing. If you are not listening right now, then your faith is stale and outdated. If you're still listening to whatever God put in you before, right, you're essentially still praising him for dry ground even though you're in a desert. Listen to what he's saying now. Okay? The past, the good things, they're there to encourage you and to give you hope and to build your faith. Okay? But don't put too much stock in them because they're gone. What did Teddy Roosevelt say or what did the historian say? Nostalgia, a weakness to which Teddy Roosevelt was abnormally vulnerable, could be indulged if it was pleasant, but if it was painful, must be suppressed until the memory is too dead to throb. If there's good things in the past, hold on to them. But if bad things have happened to you, don't let them pollute you. They're gone. Let go. I can't, I can't um, counsel you on the difficulties of letting go in the midst of tragedy. Teddy Roosevelt was an exceptionally strong person. Where he's able to simply let go, most of us couldn't. <laughs> Just couldn't. Nonetheless, find a way. Because the painful past, it will kill you. It will. The, the times you guys got picked on maybe in middle school, forget about it. Right? Well, you think I wasn't picked on in middle school? <laughs> I was the biggest nerd, man, I'm telling you. <laughs> forget about it. Because God is doing new things now. He's not worried about that. If God did amazing things for you in middle school... Well, remember those things. Yeah, don't forget those things. Those are good things. But don't put too much stock in them. Okay, enough. Time to move on.
past is what it is. Our memory is what decides if it's going to be a blessing or a curse. Okay? The past is what it is. It is what it is. What happened, happened. It happened. You can't change it now. It's back there. It's done. It is what it is. But our memory of it will decide if it's a blessing or a curse. Let's read another story, okay? June 19, or I keep saying 19. June 18, 98, Battle of San Juan Hill in Cuba. This was during the Spanish-American War. Yeah? I figured, man, all the grown-ups are going to be so intrigued by this, and the high schoolers are going to be like, I know this. <laughs> it's History 101. I was reading Wikipedia last night, so... What, I don't have a textbook? <laughs> what do you want me to do? <laughs> uh, okay, Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. We've all heard of them. They captured two important hills without being ordered to do so. They just took initiative. They said, you know what? That hill right there with all the machine guns and stuff at the top, I don't think they had machine guns back then. We need that hill, so let's go get it. Um, Teddy Roosevelt... You know, his group was called the Rough Riders, but did you realize he was the only one with a horse? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Were they all, like, out there, like, carrying each other on their shoulders like they were playing chicken or something? I don't know. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Here they are. Here's the Rough Riders. Teddy Roosevelt's the only one with a horse because the transport ships, because they're in Cuba, the transport ships are in short supply, so they couldn't get their horses over there. Uh, so Teddy Roosevelt rode back and forth from the front line back to the rifle pits and all over the place. Now think about this. Think about this for a second. These guys are on the front line, which means they're probably down the hunch like this because they don't want to get shot. <laughs> Meanwhile, the guys in the rifle pit are in just that. They're in a pit. They're down low because they don't want to get shot. And Teddy Roosevelt's on top of a horse. <laughs> you might call that brave. I call that idiocy. But it had to be done. He had to be done. He had to make sure that his rifle pits and his front line were all on the same page, that the battle was going in a coordinated way. It had to be done. So he did it. Okay? And for bra so for bravery and initiative, Teddy Roosevelt's nominated for the Medal of Honor. That's the same battle that his son uh, uh, was nominated for. Okay? And he was disapproved. Army said, nah. Disapproved. Uh, I read, historian John Gable wrote it like this. In later years, after Ro in later years, Roosevelt would describe the Battle of San Juan Hill on July 1st in 1898 as the great day in my life and my crowded hour. I mean, this guy, this, is, this, this was the moment he hung his hat on. Okay? But... Malaria and other diseases were now killing the troops even more than had died in the battle. So they're down in Cuba, and, and sure, people died in the Battle of San Juan Hill, but even more people died because of the sickness and the malaria. So Roosevelt and other officers demanded that the soldiers be returned home. The famous Round Robin letter, I don't know what it is, it's not that famous apparently. <laughs> and another strong letter by Roosevelt that were sent 
back to Washington to tell them, hey, listen, get us out of here. They were leaked to the press by the commanding general. This enraged the Secretary of War and the President. Roosevelt believed that it was this incident that cost him the Medal of Honor. Yeah, that's what happened. He deserved the Medal of Honor, but he demanded that they get his troops out of there because they were dying of sickness. And so they said, oh, he doesn't deserve the Medal of Honor. Man, that's pretty messed up, right? September 1997. Yes, that's right, 1997. I said it right this time. <laughs> yes, victory. I deserve the Medal of Honor now. September 1997, a New York congressman sends two recommendations to the Army Awards branch. He sent one to the Brigadier General and one to the Master Sergeant, both in the awards branch. As a result, Teddy Roosevelt is posthumously, that's a weird word, awarded the Medal of Honor in 2001, 82 years after his death. He is the, first, the only man in history to have been awarded his country's highest military honor and the world's highest peace honor, the Nobel Peace Prize. Only man in history. What's that? After death, yeah. After death. 82 years after he died. At the time, he didn't deserve it. Whether he deserved it or not didn't change what happened that day on San Juan Hill. Dude, this is a guy who went to Africa and hunted amazing amounts of animals, wild animals. This is a guy who went to South America and discovered an entire river. It's named after him to this day, Rio Teodoro. I'm not lying. That's really what it's called. <laughs> Probably the natives sound a lot smoother when they say it. <laughs> I'm a Texan. <laughs> And, but it was that day that he hung his hat on. That day it was what it was. It was what it was. It happened. No matter what letters he sent, no matter what president got ticked off, what happened that day happened. But it was this historian, John Gable, that changed the memory of it. Right? So for 82 years, Teddy Roosevelt didn't deserve the Medal of Honor. And then this guy sent a couple of recommendations. Now, now Teddy Roosevelt deserves the Medal of Honor. Nothing changed about Battle of San Juan Hill. Only our memory of it changed. You see what I'm getting at here? You have things that happen in your life that you need to rewrite. There are things in that happened in your past that you think were a tragedy, that you think were bad times. You need to go re-examine those times. And you need to rewrite your memories. Because you think that in those times, God doesn't deserve the Medal of Honor. But the truth is, what happened in those times happened. Your memory needs to change because God does deserve the Medal of Honor. Yeah? 
What's that famous poem? Lord, what about the times when there was only one set of footprints? <laughs> My son, that is when I was carrying you. Don't be fooled into thinking that God left you or forsook you. You may feel that way, but he didn't. He was with you. He was rescuing you. Change your memories. And if you can't change them, then get rid of them. If you can't rewrite your past, then don't let it hold you down. Get rid of it. Let it go. Ignore it. Forget about it. Either tame it or avoid it altogether. You think Teddy Roosevelt wanted to get in a fight with a bear? He's a tough guy, but he's not an idiot. He said, carry a big stick and speak quietly. <laughs> he didn't want to get in a fight. I mean, he would. He knew he couldn't tame a bear, so he avoided it. If you can tame a bear, tame it. If you can rewrite your memories, rewrite them. If you can't rewrite them, then don't, don't remember them. Clean yourself of those things. I'm talking about making the past our ally, not our enemy. Okay? Okay. Short-term memory. It behaves the same way. What happened five minutes ago, what I was talking about at the beginning of this lesson? Well, I already said it. I can't go back and change it. It's even recorded. So Pastor Jerry can get mad at me later. <laughs> Short-term memory behaves the same way. Hearing, not from having heard. Faith comes from hearing. So keep listening, keep listening, keep listening, keep listening. Don't stop listening, okay? We must embrace a godly perspective and not allow the events from a few moments ago to affect our actions right now. How many times have you guys been in school? I'm talking to high schoolers again because I've noticed them looking back there. How many times have you guys been in school and some jerk just did a jerk move? You know, it happens every day, right? I mean, some jerk does a jerk move. Yeah. And you get offended by it because the guy's a jerk. And five minutes after that, you miss an opportunity to minister to somebody because you're still offended by that jerk. You just let five minutes ago mess up your opportunity to help somebody. Right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just kind of being hypothetical here. I don't know if that happens to you guys or not. But you see what I'm saying? What happened five minutes ago was five minutes ago. It's the same as five years ago. It's the same as 500 years ago. It's behind us. If it's not good, don't remember it. Let's go to the next slide. I'm almost done. Just so you know. Is it coming? Okay. This is two pictures. The top picture is a picture of a speech that was 50 pages long, folded in half. 
and tucked into Teddy Roosevelt's pocket. This is his eyeglasses case, a metal eyeglasses case, that was tucked right behind that speech. And those two holes in them are from the bullet when somebody tried to assassinate him while he was running for president. He had just formed the Bull Moose Party, a short-lived political party. And he was campaigning in Milwaukee. And a saloon keeper named, I don't put his name, oh well, shot him. He shot him. He said, I'm fed up with this guy. Shot him. The bullet <coughs> went through that speech, those eyeglasses case, and three inches into his tissue. Teddy Roosevelt concluded that since he was not coughing blood, his lung must not be punctured. He was a smart man. He was correct. He was not coughing blood, therefore the bullet was in him, but it hadn't gotten to his lung. So he went on with his speech as scheduled and spoke 90 minutes with a bullet in his chest bleeding into his shirt. He's tough. He's tough. 90 minutes with a bullet in his chest. This is the x-ray that later came out. There's the bullet right there. You can see it circled in red. Uh, it was too dangerous to remove it, so he had to live with it for the rest of his life. Had a bullet in his chest for the rest of his life. So what happened happened. He's thinking, okay, I've been shot in the chest, but I'm not dying. I'm not going to let it affect my decisions right now. The fact of the matter is I need to make this speech. Now, this is a little extreme, I know. If you get shot in the chest, go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but we're talking today about making the past our ally, not our enemy. Here's an incident being shot in the chest. He has two choices. I can go to the hospital, and now the past from five minutes ago when I got shot in the chest, now that past becomes my enemy because I don't get to make the speech that I need to make. Or I can use the past to my advantage. And this is how he opened his speech. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know whether you fully understand that I have just been shot. But it takes more than that to kill a bull moose. He was starting the bull moose party. He figured, oh, man, here's a, here's a marketing opportunity. <laughs> Dude, you got a bullet in your chest. <laughs> Stop worrying about marketing your political party. But that's what he did. He made the past his ally. He said, here's a chance for me to show people what I'm all about, what I'm all about. Would you not vote for a guy after you saw that? I don't care what his policies are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm voting for that, man. <laughs> so if it happened a few moments ago, don't let it affect you. Like I said, this is an extreme case. But it proves the point. Make the past your ally, not your enemy. If you remember it and it's good, remember it. If it's bad and you can't tame it, forget it. Preferably, learn how to tame it like Teddy Roosevelt did. 
Use the past to your advantage. Okay. The past can negatively or positively affect our outlook on the future. That's, that's what I'm talking about today. It either can negatively or positively affect our outlook for our own future. Right? Our memories affect our vision. Okay? It's true, right? We all have memories. And our, and our memories shape the way we see the world and the way we see us fitting in that world. Okay? They can rob us of our opportunity for vitality. Or they can nudge us in a direction to truly flourish. It's you who decides. It's you. It's your memory. You're the one who needs to rewrite them. Are you going to let your memories in your past rob you of your vitality? Or are you going to use them to nudge you into true flourishment? We must be careful with our memories. We must be extremely careful that we base our decisions on what God is saying now. Not what he said before, not on what happened before. Unless it's good. Uh, I just want to close with this story from my own life. Um, Belinda and I, before coming to this church, we were at our previous church. And, I mean, it just became obvious that I mean, we just couldn't flourish there. I don't know what the problem was. I love the people there. I love the pastor. I still love him to this day. I try to keep in touch with him the best I can. Um, but for whatever reason, we couldn't, we couldn't flourish there. And we had to make a decision. And I struggled with the decision to leave because leaving a church is a serious matter. It's an extremely serious matter because this is family. We're family. You wouldn't bail out on your family just because you weren't having a good time with them. So leaving a church is an extremely serious matter. And so I struggled. I struggled, I struggled, I struggled for like eight months. What am I going to do? I'm trying everything I know how to do, everything I know how to do, everything I'm able to do to try to re-spark my experience at that church. And after a lot of prayer and a lot of thought and meditation, I began thinking, well, I've got to get fed something. So I'm going to stay here at this church until this passes, because I'm sure it will. I'm sure, you know, at some point, you know, it's going to come back around again. But in the meantime, I, I need to get something. So we, we, uh, uh, whenever we had a chance, we would go drop it by a church called the Village Church up in Highland Village. It's right there about a block and a half away from where my parents live. And my little brother was also attending services there, so we figured, okay, well, let's go there. We, and so we went there for the first time on Christmas, on Christmas evening. And God touched me in such a way that I had not been touched for, like I said, like eight months. And I'm thinking to myself, how come, how, wow, I just messed the mic up. Yes. My baby on the inside. <laughs> okay, I thought to myself, how can this be that I'm, I'm able to, to 
to connect with God so clearly and hear from him. Dude, the sermon was amazing, but you know what was really amazing? What God told me during worship. (laughs) What God told me during worship, that was the most amazing part of the evening. Which, that's what church should be. You should be changed by what you're hearing from God, not what you're hearing from me. And I'm like, this is the right way. This is what it's supposed to be. And I was so touched, and then that began this whole new thinking where I was like, okay, I've got to explore this more. I've got to figure out what's going on here. How come I can get a hold of God and connect with God in another church, but I can't at my home church that I love? And I couldn't figure it out. Dude, I could, I could connect with God in the car, worshiping in the car. I'd have these amazing time on the way to church. And then get there, nothing. Can't get in touch with him. It was, it was as if God had marked out that physical property. And as soon as I stepped foot onto the property, he was like, okay, I'm going to wait till you get out. Dude, that's scary when God is doing that to you. I don't, know if that, I don't know if that was the case in the spirit world, if that was really going on. That's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. So I struggled a lot. And finally, I, I had to tell my pastor, dude, I, I think our time at this church is, is coming to an end. I love you, but I think, it, I think it's coming to an end. And Pastor Kyle's dad, Jared's dad, I said, well, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I said, I know you do. I'm so glad he thought I was wrong, too. Nothing would scare me more than telling your pastor, I think our time's coming in. He says, I know it is. <laughs> I would I would have been like, what? <laughs> See you later. <laughs> no, nah, he wanted to, he wanted, he, he loved me. He wanted to hold on to me. He wanted to protect me. He knew that, he knew that he, he, change you know my life he knew that he could be my pastor and he he could be there's no doubt about it the dude's an amazing man okay if you haven't got the opportunity to meet uh uh, gerald patterson then well you're missing out and i hope you do someday that was a hard conversation for me to talk i said dude i don't know i'm not setting a date or anything i'm just letting you know how i'm feeling and and i'm gonna keep praying and i'm gonna keep trying to work this thing out and and then I'll, i'll let you know Whenever I know more. And so a couple months went by, and it was, it was still, you know, pretty obvious, you know, same situation. Just, just, you know, it's not like I wasn't having fun at church. I would love to, like I said, I love the people. I, and I loved going. I loved seeing them, meeting with them. And, uh, you know, the lessons were good. They just weren't hitting me, you know. I wasn't getting anything out of it. So I, I finally told him, I said, Pastor, um, we, we're going we're gonna to have to go. We're going to have to go, man. I love you, and, and I want to support you. And I'll always be thankful for your ministry, whatever way I can help you. But we gotta go. And so I set a date, and it was the uh, end of June, last year. Let's say, this year, yeah. Um. And so then, for the next month or so, I, I left about a two-month gap there because I didn't want rumors to spread. Uh, and I, and I kind of let the word get out. Yeah, we were going to be leaving, and, and then that gave me the opportunity to answer people's questions. You know, hey, why are you, why are you leaving? Well, you know. And then uh, the, on our last Sunday, I, I insisted on being able to say goodbye, and I made clear to everybody there's nothing wrong with this church. These are good leadership. It's a good, you're a good congregation. You're all dear friends of mine, but we have other adventures 
and God that we need to go on. So then the decision came. <clears throat> well, actually, it had been building because I, if you're going to leave a church, you need to have a plan afterwards. You don't need to just start having church in your home. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not going to get anything out of that. <laughs> For Christmas this year, we're all going to give each other something out of our bedroom. <laughs> All stays in the family. <laughs> you need to go out and connect with other Christians, all right? So I had to put a plan in place, and this was going to be the plan. And I had been talking with Pastor Jared, and I'd been talking with him. I said, Pastor, here's the plan, I, I, and this is what I think we need to do. Um, you know, could we, had, we had started kind of going up to Village Church, you know, every couple Sunday nights or something just to, you know, see what they got going on. I said, Pastor, here's what we're going to do. I know I belong at your church eventually, but... I need to rebuild my relationship with God. I need to get back into the word. I need to really start learning again. I really need to really get the fire going in me again. So we're going to go to the village church, and we're going to have a time of building momentum, I guess you could say. And I told him, I said, whenever I finally do come to your church, I'm coming with fire. I want to build something. I told him this in one conversation. I said, I don't know who I'm kidding, thinking that I can be happy in corporate America. I want to build something great for God, and I want to do it with you. But I need to get right with, <laughs> I need to get rebuilt first. I need some re repairing time, you know? So <clears throat> that was going to be the plan, and Jared was cool with that. You guys know Jared. He's like, all right, man, awesome. Well, that sounds great. You know, whatever you need to do, man, we just want, Mandy and I, we just want to give you whatever kind of space you need, whatever you, whatever you need. That's just the kind of guy he is. You know, he's not trying to be pastoral. That's just who he is. Um, Belinda and I were so blessed by that and, and, and his willingness to let us do what we felt like we needed to do. Um, we came to a collide night. And no, 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 it wasn't a collide night. It was a prayer night. It was a Saturday night. The, uh, Jared had invited some of the couples up here to church to eat pizza and just have a prayer and worship time. Um, that was the first time. How many of you guys know Brandon McNeil? That was whenever he thought I was a hobo. <laughs> I was all stinky, so I was in the bathroom changing clothes. Belinda had brought me a change of clothes, so I'm in the bathroom changing clothes. I'm barefoot. I'm like... <laughs> Now this with the water faucet, just rub my hair. And he walks in and he's like, who's, who's this guy with the beard with no shoes on taking a sink bath? <laughs> and he comes out here to Jared. He says, Jared, I think there's a homeless person. I'm sure there's a homeless guy in the bathroom, man. <laughs> we had an amazing time of prayer. It was an amazing time of prayer. And we're, we're driving home that night. And, and we, just, we just knew we need to be at this church. It was after that that I heard God's voice saying, if you're leaving a church because it's not your home church, why would you go to another church that you know is not your home church? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> this is our home, so we came here. I let go of what made sense. Because my past said that I needed to be rebuilt. The previous 8 to, to 12 months really said, Matt, you, you are spiritually devastated. You need rebuilding. Right? You're on dry ground. You need water. 
That's what my past was saying. And I was trying to listen to it and saying, okay, now then the proper move is to go somewhere. Well, I, I, man, the teaching up there is amazing. Trust me. You know, that guy up there is smart. You'll learn a lot. Just listen to him. But God was saying something else. God was saying, don't go over there. I have an oasis for you right here. I have an ocean for you right here. If I did not listen to what God was saying in that moment, on that Saturday night, you people would not know me. I would not be standing here right now. I would be somewhere in Highland Village probably. Learning, learning a lot. I would probably be learning a lot. But it was not where I belonged. Don't let your past dictate your decisions. Or you'll end up where you're not supposed to be. It may seem like a good place, but it's not where you're supposed to be. Okay? All right. Good. Well, we've spent plenty of time on this. Um, any questions? Anybody have? Okay. Let's just, let's, um, you know, it takes a lot of time to try to do a prayer right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Spoke right through a cell phone. Go ahead and take the call. Do what you need to do. It would take a lot of time for us to do a real hardcore prayer session right now because, hey, you, you know your memories, and you'd spend more time telling somebody your memories so that they could pray for you, and by the time you finish telling them, it'd be time to go eat, right? So here's what, I, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, Kyle, go ahead and throw on some worship music for me, and I just want you, everybody, everybody, to take a few moments, just zone everybody else out, think about what things are hindering you from your past. What memories are holding you back? Because, hey, you know what? If you tell me that there's nothing in your past that's holding you back, I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to believe you. We all got something, right? There's always something. Okay? So let's take a few minutes. Let's examine ourselves. Do a little prayer. When you finish, please be respectful. There's other folks that are probably still going. So just kind of quietly, you can make your way out to the coffee shop. Thank you for being here today. We love you guys. And if you're a man, sign up for the camp out.